Welcome to the Veterans for Peace Radio Hour and Podcast. President Biden, we are out of time to address the climate emergency. That was a voice from last week's People vs. Fossil Fuel rally in Washington, D.C. And we will hear more voices because Harvey was there. But first, my name is Jim Wolgamuth and I am here with fellow Vietnam veteran Harvey Bennett. We're members of Veterans for Peace, which is an international organization of military veterans and allies whose collective efforts are to build a culture of peace, humanity, equality, and justice. Just go to veteransforpeace.org. This show is on stations across the country, thanks to the Pacifica Radio Network. We're also on SoundCloud, Anchor, Spotify, and on your phone. Just go to your podcast app and search Veterans for Peace. As you know, many of our shows have addressed the reality of national holidays, and last week we had Columbus Day or as many places are now celebrating Indigenous Peoples Day. Harvey had the great opportunity to, def- to attend the week-long Peoples versus Fossil Fuels rally in Washington, D.C., which started with a celebration of Indigenous peoples. This is totally appropriate since it has been the Native peoples that have led the fight to save this continent from the damage and destruction that has been and continues to be brought on by human causes of and the fossil fuel industries. So Harvey, you did a great mm-hmm. job getting voices from the ra- rally all week long, but you could you start by just relaying your experience and your eyewitness account and why this <clears throat> week-long rally was important and the importance of Ind- Indigenous Peoples Day. Just how, how did it go? Uh, well, it was uh, it was an amazing experience, and <clears throat> basically their goal was to confront Biden. Biden was the focus. So, uh, <clears throat> Freedom Plaza is not more than about a you know, five or six minute walk from the White House or from Lafayette Park. So, uh, and the plan was to march down to the uh, White House, uh, the uh, <clears throat> fence there on the side where Lafayette Park is, and assemble there with all their signs and and uh, music and chants, and and just basically uh, make their demands directly to Biden. And it was interesting because they just called him Biden. <laughs> they didn't say President Biden. <laughs> And I, I thought, well, that's okay. Because as far as they're concerned, uh, you know, it's all stolen land anyway. So <laughs> I couldn't disagree with any of that. Uh, but uh, so, so it turned out, of course, that the, the um, Monday through Friday protests were going to start on October 11th, which is Indigenous Peoples Day. So that was appropriate. Uh, but what I learned there also was that this whole week took a tremendous amount of planning and coordination. It went very smoothly because of that. Um, and there was a huge collaboration of different environmental organizations uh, uh, with indigenous movements in the leadership <coughs> at every stage. The, uh, a large contingent of in, the indigenous environmental uh, network all there but had you know tremendous experience there at Standing Rock fighting off the Dakota Access Pipeline uh, for just you know months in the bitter cold 
they told us there were over 55 tribes uh, represented at that uh, standoff. <clears throat> so it's just hard to imagine uh, what they went through. Of course, not only the cold and uh, all the harassment, uh, but rubber bullets, you know, tear gas, uh, you name it. Uh, <clears throat> so they were, they were very much uh, prominent in the leadership for this event, but there were also dozens of other indigenous organizations res uh, represented there uh, from, from all the way from Fairbanks, Alaska, uh, which is the sovereign Inupat for a living Arctic. Um, I, I was real interested in that because we had been to Fairbanks in the summer, uh, our family, all the way to the Gulf Coast and the Rio Grande, and uh, that's the Karutso Komerudo tribe, indigenous people from Hawaii and all the way to the East Coast and the Delaware River Valley. So in addition to that, uh, some of these, you know, large, more online umbrella organizations uh, like Sierra Club, Nature Conservancy, uh, 350.org uh, were also in, heavily involved in the planning and and uh, much of the funding because they did provide a lot of funding assistance for people to travel there and stay in DC, which is not cheap. But <clears throat> the overall message uh, was just repeated uh, every day. You couldn't miss it. And that was basically you know, from the fence of the White House with amplification, with the drums, with you know, over a thousand people uh, chanting, uh, Biden, keep your promises. Remember him talking about being the climate president? He was running. <laughs> yeah, he's the climate president, all right. <clears throat> Stop line three. I mean, that was a chant that went on and on. And I learned a lot about line three there. I'd heard about it before. I didn't know any of just how horrendous this uh, pipeline is and it's already well, starting. Do you do you recall where line three goes? Goes all the way across the state of uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin, over to Lake Superior. So a, a leak there could do some real damage. <laughs> oh yeah, they said it, a leak in that line could damage the water supplies, uh, 43 cities because it goes down the <clears throat> down the Missouri River, you know, all these watersheds. Uh, <clears throat> um, anyway, and the other command or demand is ban all fracking, cancel all drilling leases and, and pipeline leases. You know, Biden, since taking office, has approved something like 2,500 drilling and uh, pipeline leases for oil and natural gas. <clears throat> uh, you know, that's just unacceptable. Uh, so they basically said, you lied to us, do what you said you were going to do and do it now. We don't have time. And as I saw today, uh, even in the, I think it was in the Times of all things, uh, several Democrats, I think Sheldon Whitehouse was one of the more prominent ones saying uh, that, you know, Biden has to do something dramatic on the climate or get the legislation passed, this uh, reconciliation package that includes a lot of those climate measures. He has to do that before COP25.
if he goes to COP25 with his however many cabinet members and they haven't done a thing, nobody's going to listen to a word they say. Don't even spend the money to go there. I thought, hey, that's coming from the political establishment, basically. So, and COP25 is coming up within weeks. I know. So I thought maybe these senators were listening this week when all this was going on. Uh, I like to think that had something to do with it because they've been pretty quiet up till now. And they're basically saying, this is your last chance, uh, Biden, to, to do something. <clears throat> but from the first training sessions to the first direct action at the White House fence on Indigenous Peoples Day to the final rally on Friday, the youth rally, at, uh, in front of the Capitol. The leadership has been basically indigenous peoples and rightly so. You know, this was my first experience <clears throat> where I felt I had actually uh, begun to get some understanding of how indigenous peoples lives have been impacted by this climate crisis. Uh, and not just this climate crisis. This climate crisis is just one more assault on their very existence. And they stress that. Uh, on top of all the land theft, they kept reminding us, Washington, D.C., this is so-called Washington, D.C. This is Pis Piscataway land. The, all the land theft, the you know, cultural... Uh, Dismissment, even mocking of, of Native American culture, and basically their erasure, their language, their peoples, the boarding schools, all the uh, actions that were taken uh, for the last two centuries to essentially eliminate the Native people. And all of this at the hands of basically the white ruling class in this country. So their experience has given them the motivation and the wisdom to resist what's happening right now with this mutual solidarity. They are they speak as a people. Nobody just nobody just says I I I. You don't hear that. It's all they speak as a people, and not as a single single tribe. They speak as a. a Overall, they talk about all indigenous peoples, not even just in the Americas, not even just in North and South America, but all over the world. Indigenous peoples have been uh, oppressed for so long. And they all share a lot of uh, the same, uh, not only traumas, but the same spiritual foundation. Uh, <clears throat> So it's with that that they're able to uh, launch this, this kind of sustained civil disobedience and disruption. So this week is not a one-timer, you know, not a one of it's been going on for as far back as you can think. It's just not something that you see a lot of reports on until it gets uh, to where it's actually slowing down the, <laughs> the machine, you know. I've come to realize, and they keep repeating this, uh, that everything they do, everything they say is based on their 
deep sense of the sacred value of all of creation and of all people. And that's their, that's the measuring stick they use to uh, judge actions. Well, the fossil fuel industry doesn't come off too good if that's your measuring stick. So right. from, with their perspective, I mean, they can totally see through the treachery and the lies of the fossil fuel industry they're, and their corrupt enablers in the political establishment, in the corporate media, and in Wall Street, whose so-called solutions amount to shell games, carbon commodification schemes, and greenwashing slogans. Mm -hmm. and, and they had one day just uh, dedicated to real solutions, no bullshit. <laughs> that was the chant, you know. And I, th I think we're going to hear that. Yeah. So, yeah. so we'll, put a, we'll put a warning out before yeah. we say, you know. And, and, you know, they understand it just on a gut level that these things yeah. are not going to solve the problem. They're only, they're just, you know, either bookkeeping tricks or uh, bait and switch schemes or whatever so that they can keep doing what they're doing. Right. Their goal is to keep doing what they're doing because they're making so much money off it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're completely blinded uh, to the reality. It's almost like, you know, the reality is very inconvenient to them and their bottom line. But even beyond that, they are so invested in that uh, view of the world and themselves that they're blind to the consequences for their very own families and children and grandchildren. I mean, these CEOs, all these people making millions. <laughs> You know, they have to make a choice and they've made their choice. Yep. And it's not the lives of those closer to them. And they certainly don't care about the lives of uh, people of color, or indigenous people or anyone else that they can't use for their own benefit. Well, you ready to listen to some of your clips that you sent? Yeah, yeah. Uh, her name is Braun, B-R-A-U-N, Braun. Okay. Her name is Joy, J-O-Y-E. J-O-Y-E. That is not her indigenous name. She's in a wheelchair. Yeah. She's got an oxygen tank. <laughs> she, you know, she looks like she might be in a nursing home, <laughs> but not out there in the front lines in sub-zero weather at Standing Rock. And uh, boy, she's she was a powerful speaker. So let's listen to her. This is one of her first... This is the one she gave Sunday night before we did our first action. Mother Earth. And every single one of us is tied together by Mini Witoni, our sacred water. And sacred water and Auntie Makar are under threat like no other time in human history. And it is because of us humans that it is under threat. So as we were thinking of these songs, we were thinking of how we are interconnected. We were thinking of how we can come together in unity and in spirit and in prayer. Because one of the things that we have we known for a long time, the prophecies have been told us this as indigenous people, 
that we need to indigenize the world to realize that we, because you know as, as indigenous people we are at the forefront of those that are being the most impacted and our black and brown brothers and sisters and those that are living on the gulf coast those that are living in new york those that are living in the bayou and in the arctic and over in tacoma and the fires in california and the hurricanes that we're all feeling there is no one place that is a front line anymore we are all on that front line and as such, each and every single one of you are now frontliners. And that means that the sacrifices that we make to collectively are sacred and are powerful. What I really liked about her, her quick little, her portion of that, of her speech was, we need to indigenize. Yeah, I love that. I'd never heard that before. <laughs> I know. That, that is so, that's right on the point. I mean, we're not going to get this done unless we can indigenize. In the white power structure and even the white well, community. You're not in the white power structure, Jim. Sorry. <laughs> I, I know I'm not in the white power structure, but the white power structure, but even the white community has to get back to the land. Oh. The next clip I've got is from Casey Camp. Oh, yeah, she's incredible. She's the environmental ambassador of the Ponca Nation of Oklahoma. And Joey is a fighter. I mean, Joey, you know, her words are fighting words <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, in terms of uh, the fossil fuels. Casey uh, is more trying to find the humanity, trying to see what kernel of humanity she can get from even someone like Joe Biden. <laughs> and it's all in the name of what those folks call manifest destiny. It's all in the name of what those folks call money and progress. So you and I, we know the value of real life. You and I, we know the feeling inside our spirit whenever we're tugged in a certain direction and a path opens and someone pulls us in. So our job is not only tomorrow, it's not only tonight, it is every day for the rest of the blessing of life that we have, that we will continue to reach around and do that kitchen table organizing. We're going to talk to our brothers and our sisters, our aunties and our uncles, our children and grandchildren, our neighbors, our neighborhood, our community, our state. And then we're going to be able to make this rapid change that we have to do. It is a climate emergency. It's laid out in front of us. We have an opportunity to make that day what we will of that day. Every day the sun rises and life continues. That's power. That's power. They call it solar power. We call them sacred one, the Father's Son. Every night, the moon mother governs the rhythm. Even the tides of the, of the ocean follow her instructions and work with her on this purification. 
that power is within all of us, within all of the women, especially the tides and the rhythms of the moon. That's power. Every day, the Earth Mother grows food, provides life for all the things with roots in the ground, for the four lakes, for the fins within the sacred waters, for the breath that we call life, and that those up there are looking at ways to do carbon trading, carbon sequestration, nature-based solution, reaching carbon zero. Keep it in the ground. Keep it in the ground. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Was the, another good. Yeah, the kitchen good. table organizing. Now you, <laughs> yeah. but but you happened to get a, an interview with Casey. Yeah, yeah, she was but, taking a little break from all of it at the uh, White House fence. Uh, she was in there in Lafayette Park, and I figured, well, it's not too noisy here. Maybe she'll share a few words with me. Uh, here she comes. I'm with. Uh, Casey Camp, is that right? Uh, from uh, Ponca tribe in Oklahoma. I asked her to share a few words with our audience for Veterans for Peace. I'd like to know what you would like to tell President Biden if you could get down, sit down, and look him in the eye. I think that what President Biden would like to, to feel inside him if he wants to get into his human roots is what does he expect to leave for his next seven generations as his legacy? Yes. Does he expect to leave a future of fossil fuels continuing to receive subsidies and to get rich on the bodies of the, the humans and all of our living relatives? Or would he like his legacy for his great-great-grandchildren to be that of the one who turned the corner away from fossil fuels and built back fossil fuel free? It's time to declare a national climate emergency. And even further than that, it's time for his uh, environmental ambassador uh, to, and I believe they call him a different name, but he needs to be part of declaring a global climate emergency at the UN this year. And also the United Nations uh, Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People needs to be implemented. All of the country states around the globe have uh, signed on. No one has implemented them. Be the first. He could be. That would be a great legacy, wouldn't it? Yes. It's a, it would be a way to actually make things where they're functional again. We don't have to continue on this path of uh, self-destruction that, that humans are on right now. We, we want our species to continue. We want air to breathe, water to drink, and food for our, our children and those beyond that. Let's do something now, today, individually, collectively, and and make something that our own families will be proud of, you and I as, as grandparents. What could people do to support your work and the work of indigenous people, uh, water protectors, and trying to stop Line 3 and also just to stop uh, the menace the terrible uh, fossil fuel industry. 
be aware of who you put into office. Mm -hmm. Vote and, and get out and campaign for the right people to be there. Make sure that your people that you put into office are aware of the, uh, the very real danger that we're in uh, of, of having, you know, the currency now is this manipulated idea of money when the currency in the future will be that of who controls the water. Stop carbon trading, carbon sequestration. Um, what is the greenwashing that's going on with how the air is being poisoned in one place and then polluted in another by buying carbon credits. Become aware of, of what the real powers are. You know, I, I was very honored that uh, my tribe have been veterans uh, by volunteering to serve as warriors for the United States before we were even citizens. We had 100% volunteers mm -hmm. in World War One. Mm -hmm. We had a regiment of uh, Ponca men in World War Two. My brother Carter was on the Berlin Wall and later became a national leader of the American Indian Movement. Uh, My brother Craig was in Vietnam. And those are legacies that we felt proud of them as warriors, but at the same time, did they really need to be outside of the territory that they were born to protect? It injured them in their minds and in their spirits. And now they fight for peace. Now they fight for the rights of indigenous people to exist in our original uh, ways. Yeah. And I'd like to thank all of the veterans who have served and at the same time say, you can leave a different legacy. You can stop the war. <coughs> My son, my youngest son, pointed out to me recently, Jeff, he said, if you look at all the natural laws that are in place with the animal world, it's only the males who fight. The women of any species are moving towards ways of nurturing. And we need to encourage our youth to continue to raise their voices about how to rebalance this. Those uh, ones that I'm talking about that used to the animals, the birds that fight for territory are fighting for the existence of their species. Humans are fighting for what they call resources. Mm -hmm. There's a vital difference. Mm -hmm. We wish for peace. We wish for good food, good air, and good water for all that is. Thank you so much. Now, you had another clip from her granddaughter. Uh, Denise, yes. Good morning. My name is Denise Wright Duff. I'm Nantico Menape um, from Bridgeton, New Jersey. Um, you know, I, I come here with a heavy heart. My children, as someone said earlier, are, are the reasons that we push forward. And they're the reason that I'm here. They stirred my soul. Um, I used to tell my eldest son, you know, um, he used to come home from high school with a lot of stories, of bad stories. And he would say, Mom, do you realize what's going on in the world? And let me tell you, it would ruin your whole day. And 
eventually I said, well, what can we do about it? And he was like, well, let's do this and, and let's do that. Um, I've met some wonderful people on the journey. One of them is my precious grandma Casey here. Um, it's very hurtful. My experience here on the East has been a little different. Here on the East, we struggle to even prove our existence. They pretend we are not here. They teach our children in the schools around here in a past tense. So much so that I would have to go into my children's school and demand recognition. The teachers would say, oh, you're dancing around like little wild Indians. Everything was in a past tense. The principal would ignore us. And every time we would address the administration, they would ask us if it was a threat. It's not a threat. Just do what's right. It's not hard. It's right and wrong. You do what's right. So it sickens my soul just as bad as the fossil fuels sicken our Mother Earth. It sickens our soul. As indigenous people, we are absolutely, extremely tired of asking for people to do what's right. Currently, I have been brought on to Philadelphia Mural Arts to consult in a climate justice initiative mural. And I'd like everybody to listen to this very carefully. We are struggling for a wall to put it on. A mural that is just saying, do what's right. So what I've been told is that a lot of the businesses, a lot of the buildings in Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, are funded with people from Texas, with the fossil fuel industry. Now, and I had to ask my, my, my co-workers, what are we doing? I was brought onto this project to do what's right. I'm not understanding what we're doing. So that's where we are right now. And I'm pushing everyone to, to ask the city of Philadelphia, what are we doing? This city of brotherly love, who do we love? What do we love for? Money? And, and again, it's affecting our children, it's affecting all of our future generations. And either we get on board or you get out of the way because we won't stop. I never realized was growing up in the East uh, was that there are native populations in the East. You always hear about the native populations out in South Dakota, North Dakota, um, up, in the, up in the mountains, in, the, in Oklahoma and all throughout the Midwest because you know we have this assumption that they were all moved out. But no, there are indigenous populations in the East and they just feel left out, they feel ignored. So I gotta do better. Do what's right is a pretty controversial thing to be putting on a wall, right? I know, <laughs> just do what's right. I mean, that could be pretty threatening depending on what you're doing. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So while you, were, while you were there, you also ran into Anne Wright. 
Van Wright, by the way. Van Wright, uh, Veterans for Peace, Code Pink, Women for Peace, and it's a... Uh, and Code Pink. And Code Pink, yeah. Uh, well, it's a great opportunity for us to be right here in front of the White House to say to the Biden administration, yeah. as we've said to the Trump administration, the Obama administration, the Bush administration, you know, it's time to end this dependence on fossil fuels and time to stop the pollution of Native American lands. this summer and we uh, read about a lot of those horrible things going on there. They have a wonderful uh, museum there in Anchorage that had a lot of that history. Oh really? Yeah. And uh, they also had a lot of testimonials from Native Americans that uh, just like the ones we heard here, they yes. are so rooted in yep. the spiritual sense of the, the sacredness of everything. Yes. And yes. we live in a country where nothing is sacred. <laughs> everything is up for sale. <laughs> That's right. Everything has a price. It sure does. Yeah. yeah. So it's good to see all these people. Oh, yeah. Many hundreds that are here and several hundred it looks like here that are going to yeah. go ahead and get arrested right. for the print, on the principle of the thing. Yeah. And uh, uh, it's, uh, it's great to see all these young people that are out here and all the you know, the indigenous peoples of our country that are leading the way in so many, because it's their lands that are the first to be uh, destroyed by these uh, oil leaks. And, yeah, well, uh, like they say, they're the frontliners, but pretty soon we're all going to be frontliners. And that's the truth. We are, we should consider ourselves all. There are a lot of uh, news media here, which yeah. is the, the point of the whole thing, to yeah. try to pressure the administration by publicity into getting... Uh, you know, moving on their promises and this whole thing of not stopping the line three when they did stop another one. Right. Why not stop all of them? That's really what we're Well, his own statements are, you know, could be used against him. I mean, he said, you know, this is a narrow window. We must act now. Yeah, so we're acting. So Where is he? <laughs> you act in there. <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. Well, you know, we hope to have the Veterans for Peace historic anti-nuke sailboat come up the East Coast. Had, between the climate and the nuclear weapons, you know, everything else is sort of not that important. <laughs> That's right. If we can get those two under control here, we're doing pretty good. You ran into a guy with a VFP flag. Tell us about that. Yeah, uh, Isidro Leal. I just saw the flag there being flown when we were marching toward the White House. And I said, oh, look, <coughs> Kath, there's Veterans for Peace. And uh, I got to meet Isidro Leal from McAllen, Texas. And he's a at-large member of Veterans for Peace. And I wanted to uh, give him a chance to uh, tell us what's going on down there, uh, we all know about the uh, horrendous uh, immigrant detention centers there, but there's a lot of other stuff going on related to fossil fuels. So, uh, Isidro, uh, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what's going on down there 
in uh, South Texas. I'm a Cariso Come Crudo, that's what the Spanish called us in our tongue. We're, we're called the uh, Estocna, Estocna Nation. Uh, I'm also a, a Marine, a Iraq War veteran. Um, <clears throat> my tribe and uh, also with uh, Veterans for Peace, uh, we've been fighting against the um, human rights abuses against the uh, immigrant people. And uh, we've, also, we've also been fighting against the uh, border wall and the uh, pipelines and also the uh, LNG factories they want to build in um, the South Texas area, uh, specifically in uh, Cameron County. Talking about uh, natural gas. Yes. Uh, a couple of other corporations that are trying to move in and, you know, eager to despoil the environment and ruin what's left of it. Now, the whole area, uh, we call it Somesec. That's the original word for it. Uh, and Somesec is uh, North Mexico and South Texas areas. Um, yeah, the, but the whole area used to be a rainforest. Uh, resource gathering, it's, uh, it's really uh, done a lot of damage to the ecosystem there. And of course, uh, Texas likes to pretend uh, uh, natives don't exist. Right. Uh, you know, anything that gets built, we want to remove. So they never responsibly take care of their uh, their waste either. And it's Naturally. basically the same with every factory. You know? Yeah. They don't care about the environmental consequences, no matter how much they pretend to. And we're all nonprofits, uh, grassroots groups, mm -hmm. uh, trying to uh, provide relief uh -huh. and, of course, uh, change the. The policies that are uh, allowing these human rights abuses to happen—it's uh, it's, uh, it's odd um, how, um, that they're allowed to happen too, because um, the way they're being treated is like an, in, it's indirect violation of uh, federal law and uh, international law. Uh, some of the laws are in the Geneva Convention as well. So, and also, it's interesting that you know so much of this border. Uh, issues and these huge migrations of people are related to climate change. And, yeah, that's right. In uh, uh, Central America. Yeah, well, recently, I heard more about the, the Haiti fallouts from the environmental oh, disasters there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Other than the colonialism, well, I mean, well, also part of the colonialism is the environmental disasters. It's intensifying you know, the destability. You know. Native nations have been saying for for over a hundred years and you, know, you got to protect the lands and so, you know, the, the earth will retaliate and that's, we're seeing that now it's, we're, we're, we're poisoning our own planet to death slowly yes. talk a little bit more about the border wall yeah uh, it's, it's almost like a pipeline you know they're, they're they wanted to do they're, they're trying to do a lot worse too they want a clearing area on both sides of the wall and right. get, get, get rid of all the wildlife right. as if that makes sense the other thing the border wall is doing uh, like the pipelines is uh, you know digging up our ancestors remains destroying them if not right. digging them up yeah well when they don't respect the living how can you expect them to respect the dead right yeah I mean you don't see them doing that at the Arlington Cemetery I'd be there protesting if they tried too. Uh, well thanks again and uh, keep up the good work down there thank you sir Harvey then <laughs> then we heard um, some personal stories Oh, they were great. Yeah, and these Pennsylvania folks. Yeah. So I I I grew up in western Pennsylvania, so I am familiar with with Braddock and North Braddock. And yeah. There was a lady, and for those of you with a little bit of sensitivity to your ears, stand by. 
It's with much gratitude, love, and solidarity that I stand here with you all to share some of the story of North Braddock Residents for Our Future, a grassroots group of community members that came together in 2013 to prevent the land, river, animals, plants, trees, and people from being poisoned by Marion Oil and Gas and U.S. Steel. Like all oil and gas companies, they promised that they would make our communities rich. They would be so much money for our municipalities and our residents that it would alleviate our financial woes. Bullshit. That extracting the natural gas from under our homes, churches, parks, daycare centers, and cemeteries would provide U.S. Steel's Edgar Thompson plant with the gas they needed to run their blast furnaces so people could keep their jobs at the mill. Bullshit. That they would do it safely and not make the polluted air we already have to breathe worse. Bullshit. That Democrats like Lieutenant Governor of Pennsylvania John Fetterman, who lives in Braddock, who says fracking is safe and we need it if we're to transition to renewables. Bullshit. And the biggest lie of all was that it was a done deal. Bullshit. For seven years, North Braddock Residents for Our Future called out Marion Oil and Gas, U.S. Steel, and industry-backed politicians on their bullshit. And in April of this year, U.S. Steel canceled its lease with Marion Oil and Gas. Unfortunately, our story is not over. Just like so many people here, U.S. Steel continues to pollute our air, damage our lungs, brains, and hearts. Our youth continue to have some of the highest asthma rates in the county, along with elevated blood lead levels. Cancer rates are high, premature births are high, food apartheid is real. Most of the small towns along the banks of the Monongahela River endure these same afflictions. President Biden, I am here to say that the power of the people is not bullshit. That the real solutions to climate environmental justice are here in the streets with the people. We have the solutions. And you know what she also said, which made me change something. She said that this John Fetterman, who's Lieutenant Governor, uh, who is he, he, that I've been, you know, I've been impressed with him, but he said, she said, he's for fracking. Yeah. So I just knocked off my contribution. Good. Not doing it. You know, got, got to stand by principles. Yeah. And then there was the, 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 the lady from Chester, Pennsylvania. My name is Ginny Marcel Kerslake and I live in Chester County, Pennsylvania. In 2015, my family got a knock on the door by a land agent with an easement for the Mariner East Pipeline Project. She told us they wanted to put two pipelines under our property. She told us we wouldn't even notice construction. They'd be in and out in two weeks. Oh, and by the way, if we didn't sign the easement, energy transfer would take my family to court and they would do it anyway because they had eminent domain. Two years later, we awoke to the sound of chainsaws cutting down the large trees across the road. That's how we learned it would be a massive drill site right across the road from our house 
and there would be 350 days of drilling that have now stretched over a four and a half year period. And we soon came to experience the intolerable noise and vibrations even inside our home during construction, Monday to Saturday, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. And we learned the truth about Mariner East. Mariner East is 350 miles of pipelines across Pennsylvania to ship fracked ethane overseas to make petrochemical plastics. Mariner East construction has destroyed the private water wells of hundreds of families, polluted our air and waterways, and created sinkholes which have forced families permanently from their homes. And just last week, Pennsylvania's Attorney General announced 48 criminal charges against energy transfer for Mariner East, including water contamination, failure to report accidents, and using unapproved additives in their drilling fluids. When it leaks, the ethane, butane, and propane expand into a low-lying cloud that is odorless, colorless, and highly explosive. We are being put at an unacceptable risk of a catastrophic explosion for corporate gain and more petrochemical plastics junk. Mariner East has brought deception and destruction to families all across Pennsylvania. But it has also helped turn the tide against this industry in a state which has a long rate of fossil fuel extraction. By a wide margin, Pennsylvanians from across the political spectrum now support a serious crackdown on fracking. We have seen what this our own eyes to our friends, our families, our neighbors. There is a false narrative that President Biden won Pennsylvania because he said he is pro-fracking. The reality is this, fracking is a loser for our climate, our air, our water, public health, and public safety. And fracking is a loser politically. President Biden, it is high time you started putting the climate, people, and our planet ahead of the fossil fuel industry. Thank you all. It's just horrible, but that is corporate America basically saying, you, hey, you know, we're, we're having a courtesy call. Yeah, we're we're ruining your life and you can't do anything about it. And then there was uh, a lady that talked about the Delaware River Valley mm -hmm. and how they won. But then they didn't win. But then they continue. They want they fought them for what, 13 years. Yeah. <laughs> God. So. We'll play a little bit of that clip. I am coming here from the Delaware River Valley, the home of the Lenny Lenape Indians who have cared for and protected our river valley since time immemorial. Because of them, our river valley remains a beautiful place to this day. When the frackers came knocking on the boundaries of our Delaware River watershed door, we, the people, the Lenny Lenape, and all of the people of the watershed joined together, marshaled our voices, marshaled our bodies to stand against the frackers, to say, you may not come.
within our Delaware River watershed. We fought for 13 years. For 13 years, we kept the frackers out, and this year we secured a permanent ban on fracking. But while we won, we didn't win, because outside of the boundaries of the watershed, fracking continued to expand across our communities and our natural landscapes. And fracking anywhere is bad for all of us everywhere. So we from the Delaware River watershed stand out to join with communities across the nation to stand against fracking. We've joined with our voices and our bodies to advocate. We've protested, we've written letters, we've joined in meetings. And to this day, we continue to stand from across the region and across the nation. But back in our watershed, we also had to continue to battle because we, while we kept the drip out, the drillers and their government, they now want to use the Delaware River watershed for their toxic frack wastewater. They want to import their wastewater and dispose of it in the Delaware River Valley. And they want to take our beautiful Delaware River water and they want to export it to support the expansion of fracking elsewhere, sacrificing other rivers and other communities across the region and across the nation. She was incredible. <laughs> and I, re I really like her, her, her energy for sure. Yeah. yeah. But, but with, with all of that, there was a, a scientist that knocked just yeah, basically, <clears throat> they had one day that was dedicated to the science. Yes. And, and <coughs> this lady, it was amazing because when you listen to her, you, it, you, I got the impression she was like in her late 20s. But <laughs> just listen. Sandra Steingraber. I'm a PhD biologist and I study systems ecology, which is to say that I spend my days about how plants and animals interact to form abiding biological communities and how these communities themselves interact to form ecosystems. Last week, together with my colleague, Dr. Peter Kalmus of NOAA, who is an earth scientist who studies the ways in which atmospheric systems and geological systems interact to create what I would call physical habitats for the guys that I study. Climate scientist Peter Kalmus and I drafted and sent a letter to the White House. It was signed by 330 leading U.S. research scientists. Loudly and clearly said to President Biden, that listening to science means acting on science. All 338 of us clearly said that acting on science 
Spanish daily. I was five years old when the president's science advisors first wrote a letter to the president warning about the power of fossil fuel emissions to destabilize our climate system. That president was Lyndon B. Johnson. And I was 20 years old when I first learned about global warming in my undergraduate ecology class. Jimmy <coughs> Carter was the president. And I was in graduate school when climate scientist James Hansen gave urgent testimony in the summer of 1988 before the Senate. And I covered that story for the Michigan Daily, expressing my relief as a young scientist that finally, finally, the government policy would respond to the climate science. Ronald Reagan was the president. And now, brothers and sisters, I am 62 years old. And the gap between what we scientists know about the climate emergency and what our political leaders are doing about it has never been greater. Scientists are done. Scientists are done speaking calmly about this disparity. Because we know that elected officials only listen to science when citizens open a space for science to speak. Thank you, brothers and sisters, for opening that space. What really impressed me was I'm listening and listening and listening, and she says, it's five-year-old during LBJ. Mm -hmm. Wait a second. <laughs> and then when um, and when James Hansen came out and she's the, the, the young scientist, right. yeah. saying, finally, finally, we're going to get some action. Of course, it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. But to, to realize that that power and that commitment has been in force for decades from this this scientist uh, that was that was amazing. So introduce the 14-year-old. This uh, young lady came uh, representing and, the Sunrise Movement of D.C. And this was Youth youth Day, right? Youth Day, yeah. This was in front of the Capitol. Uh, she's Asian and uh, <clears throat> extremely well-spoken. I was very surprised when she happened to mention that she's 14 years old. Uh, I thought back to Greta Turnberg, how old she was when she started, and I think she might have been 15, but <laughs> pretty close. Yeah. So let's listen to this 14-year-old. Everyone, um, again, I'm Way from Sunrise Movement DC. Um, I'm, I'm 14 years old. I entered high school earlier last month, and I am here with other youth. I'm here with other high schoolers. I have met other youth leaders. I have met an eight-year-old who is here fighting. And we are not the first. Generations have been here. I have met elders who were there and there who were here in their youth, and they are still here fighting with their grandchildren. It is a shame that we still have to be here. It is a disgrace.
going on so long. It has been going on because corporate greed has taken priority over the value of people in this country. Because people in power have decided to ignore our voices for years and decide to continue their charade of suppressing and marginalizing BIPOC and youth and working class people and dehumanizing us so when they come to build their fortune on our graves, no one will care. Well, obviously, we care, and that's why we're all here today. We've been here all week. We've been here for years. I was in this exact spot three weeks ago asking for the same thing. Shame! People were here years ago asking for the same thing, and yet BIPOC youth leaders still have to be here. Eight-year-olds! still have to be there, fighting for our future. Shame. I don't want to have to be here in 50 years, but if I have to, I must. So that was a 14-year-old, and that was the whole week, and that's just some of what happened. Um, so, Harvey, we've listened to a whole lot of people. How come Joe Biden seems to be listening to just one? Joe Manchin. I think he's listening to more than just Joe Manchin. He's listening to all these fossil fuel lobbyists, uh, <clears throat> uh, folks who call him. They're the ones whose phone calls get answered or returned. Because mm -hmm. he's, he's not he's... listening to uh, indigenous people of this country or working people. Right. I mean, when we remember the debates, and I, you know, I might harp on this, but when we remember the debates, both Bernie and Elizabeth were saying we needed a $7 trillion infrastructure package to address climate, the climate crisis, $7 trillion. It's already down to 3.5, and Joe Biden is listening to Joe Manchin and others who are now saying, let's bring it back to 1.5. Now this is over 10 years. This is over 10 years. So it's actually a pretty pathetic investment in probably the greatest challenge that we face right now, especially as compared to our military budget. Well, if you look at the 10 military budget over 10 years, it's a lot more than 7 trillion. Exactly. It's a lot more than seven trillion. Because for what? Yeah. For what? <laughs> for what? We could start a rant. So there was a song that you recommended from the um, from the rally. Yeah, they sang this when we marched. So that's where we have to leave it. And thanks to Harvey for attending the people versus fossil fuels. Have a great week. Bye now. People gonna rise like the water. We're gonna calm this crisis down. I hear the voice of my great granddaughter saying, keep it in the ground.